and non-benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And Varney, happy holidays. I'm in the Philippines right now shooting a project, and you're staying warm in the desert. That's right. And for our wonderful, wonderful listeners, we wanted to make sure we are gifting you with one of our favorite episodes from season two. It's our opening conversation with our two dads, Mike DiMartino and Brian Konetsko. Let's get into it. Dante, can you believe it? We said we wanted to talk to our two dads, and it turns out we have the power to manifest them immediately. You are the avatar, and you get things done like that, like an avatar does. This is pure podcast host power, buddy. We're not even talking about the avatar right now. We're just talking about the pure podcasting power of braving the elements. (laughs) Our two dads are here. Hello. Hello, Mike and Brian. Thank you so much for joining us. Mike and Brian, welcome back to the show. Hello. Glad to see you again. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Book two, baby. Here we go. I can only imagine that our sense of the avalanche of work that was coming at us when we found out our podcast was picked up for book two, it might have been just the same as the stress that you both experienced. (laughs) I'm sure they're commensurate. I'm sure it's comparable. But of course, now you're also very, very busy at Avatar Studios working on... So many things. Stuff. Because you're busy (laughs) plugging away at the story of... Avatar stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Top secret. Top secret Avatar stuff. That's right. Barney, you don't have that clearance. I absolutely do not have the clearance to hear more about... Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We had to try. We had to try for the fans. We get so many questions on social media asking if we can I don't know, like, put a drone spy near your home. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say is, like, thank you for being patient. You will have to be more patient for a while because animation takes a very long time and developing things takes a very long time. Sometimes longer than you <laughs> expect. So we're, we're working hard. Everyone's working super hard. We're still working. <laughs> then yeah. one day there will just be so much stuff. Ah, it's so exciting. Great. It's so great. Well, we are happy to fill that gap with just nonstop talk about how much we love the shows and the books in the entire world. And we really appreciate you coming on to just kind of set the tone with us. You know, Dante and I were just talking, as you know, moments ago, we were talking about how we just wanted to get into the mindset of, you know, here you go. You you finished up the successful series as you guys are looking towards the end of book one. Towards the end of book one, you did not know, correct, that you were getting another season. Well, there's always overlap, you know, in TV, like there's kind of a like a pickup date that the network has to pick up season two if they don't want people to start rolling off the crew, you know, which you usually want to avoid. You might build in a little hiatus so people get a little break, gives you maybe a little moment to catch breath or something well, I mean, at first, we didn't even know if the Blue Spirit would be the last one because we right. were only picked up that far. And then we oh, got wow. the rest of the pickup for season one. So that was a relief. But yeah, obviously, our biggest number one goal was just finishing telling the story. So getting the whole second chunk of it, the, the whole second third going was exciting. I don't remember the exact timing, but I, I, I am pretty sure we had a season two pickup before we were finished with Season one, we had probably finished all the writing on season one, but we were, I'm sure, still in production on the, you know, 
the end of the first season because like Brian said, things are always overlapping. Cause I do recall we had a little like writer's retreat, right. me and Brian and the writers, we all went away for a couple of days, got out of the studio, went to Palm Springs, I believe, and sat around trying to come up with ideas for first for season two. Sounds yeah. like a fun retreat. <laughs> I love it. Did you guys come up with like cliffhanger ideas? Did you like, we're going to have this cliffhanger for sure. And then we also may have something in our back pocket in case we get canceled to wrap this bad boy up. Like right quick. Nah, <laughs> by that point we were just going full steam ahead, you know, just yeah. not leaving anything in the tank. But yeah, we mapped out. I think everybody just kind of brought ideas to the table. There were old ideas in there, like new characters and Ang's going to be learning earth this season. And how are we going to get into that? And, um, I don't know where we had the discussion, but we definitely, I remember Aaron Ehas had like a really good instinct on, look, everybody knows who goes going to eventually, I guess this is a spoiler alert or <laughs> foreshadow report. Foreshadow report. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go good. So. Guess what? I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know, Brian. I had no clue. I was like, what am I doing? So Aaron was like, we should definitely have him go worse first, you know, ah. which I think not even just as like a twist. I think that was a good kind of character thing you know like he's definitely on a trajectory because life's like that everything's not in like a linear arc you know it's a little messier so ain't um, that the truth yeah it was fun that was the first retreat mike we went to that's a recall yeah santa barbara was the second one we did a little one for season three as well i mean those were super fruitful because it was what we did at work which was like sit in the writer's room and talk about ideas but i don't know it did it did help to sort of like not have the uh, pressures of the other parts of our job having to jump to other meetings right away or, or whatever for right. a couple of days. So everyone could focus creatively. And yeah, I mean, another big thing was like all the Azula stuff. Cause she was coming into the season. I know and, super big character coming um, in. I mean, I love how you hinted at her at the end of book one. And then she just comes in hot. Like you do a reveal from her feet to her head and like, and I'm coming in with fireballs, just killing everybody. <laughs> I mean, maybe we had some specific episode ideas, but they were much more like bigger picture stuff of like, here are all the things we want to explore in this season. And then, you know, then once we were all back at, at the studio, we'd be breaking down episodes and talking more specifically. Where does that fall chronologically with when the two of you went to China, the writer's retreat? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> you. <laughs> Was that in season two, Brian? I think I think it was during season two. Yeah, Janet, you're you're right though. This was around the same time because it was 2005 uh, when we went. Oh that would goodness. be when we were working on. Don't throw out years like that, Brian. <laughs> it puts us into a whole wind tunnel. Like, don't say years. We started production on season one in 2004, so we were definitely 2005. You know, straddled a good chunk of book two. I think we talked a lot about when we do get to Bossing Say and and Bossing Say was, you know, Mike and I got to go to the Forbidden City and that was our big kind of visual inspiration for it. And we talked a lot about how we were gonna subvert expectations, maybe, you know, with when you you get there and there's kind of shadow government running right. things, you know. And yeah. and uh mm -hmm. I remember coming up with the episode of the Guru. That was one I wanted to like use as a kind of halfway point. I thought it would be a good like Aang taking stock of like all that had happened to him using the chakras as a sort of mechanism for processing that. But I remember, again, Aaron Ehas was like he had this idea to do it kind of the way we ended up in season three using 
the Ember Island players where that was a sort of catch your breath and like recap things and let the characters recap, not just for the audience, but like let them sort of look back on their journey before they go into the finale. So, you know, so many recap episodes TV shows have done over the years, but it's the Ember Island players is such a unique classic way of doing a a recap. Yeah, Tim Hedrick came up with that one. So, yeah, I really wanted to do this guru one, but I remember Aaron made a, a strong case for moving it right before the season finale. Dante and I were just talking, and I did mention your trip to China, especially, you know, in the art book, we learned that you had the opportunity to go to this architecture park, but it was right before you were about to leave. And Dante said that he wanted to see an actual, like, anime of the two of you running around (laughs) desperately sketching and being like, come over here, I'll split up. It was hilarious. Literally, we, (laughs) yeah, I think we had an hour and it was a pretty big park. And they, these were like, in most cases, like one-to-one scale buildings of 55 different cultures within China, like different ethnic groups, and they all have different architecture styles. And these were like really traditionally built recreations of most of them. And and so (laughs) it was Mike, it was like, Mike, you go that way. way." (laughs) And we like ran and we had our little 2005 digital cameras. And then like, at some point, you know, at 47 minutes in, we saw each other and sort of crisscrossed. It was definitely like an old Charlie Chaplin film. Well, that's one of the things that I think came up for me when I was thinking about you guys going on that trip and thinking about the show and just wondering how challenging it may be to have these experiences where you know you're there and so much of it is about being inspired and having that respect for the Chinese culture and So this idea of trying to balance, right, because we talk about balance on the podcast and it's such a huge theme of the show, balance being there, being present to the moment where you are there experiencing it, but also trying to sort of file everything away. Was that challenging at all? Kind of trying to be your own encyclopedia, thinking, okay, I need to remember this. I'm going to write this down. But also, I really want to be here. Do you know what I mean? That trip was kind of a blur because it was so, I mean, I think we were there for two, maybe three days even. And yeah, there wasn't much time to just sort of like enjoy it. <laughs> we were sort of, <laughs> I mean, as I recall, we kind of went there on a mission, like a research mission, because I think we were in Korea visiting the animation studios mm-hmm. over there. We just added it on at the end for a quick go to the Forbidden City. We went to the Great Wall. We sat in traffic so much. As I recall, the architecture park was kind of like a bonus because it was like the tour guide was like, oh, you want to see some interesting architecture? Well, let me... Let me take you to this really cool museum. So we kind of didn't even know what it was until we got there. And we were like, oh, man, this is. Then we were like, we could have spent like a week there. Yeah. Right. It was an art director's dream. So yeah. I was very excited. And we used a lot of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it all made its way into the show, which is amazing. Oh, For sure. So cool. And um, yeah, another thing I remember from the writer's retreat, uh, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, is I think that's when we came up with the idea. Like we needed a way to slow the kids down so that they would have to travel by foot. Oh, Obviously, yeah. we didn't want anything really oh, bad to happen we, uh, to Appa. But <laughs> let's kidnap him. Let's get him gone. Yeah, it's when we came up with the idea to have them get separated from Appa. Which is so sad. I know. Um, to the emotional pain of fans everywhere. We got to weave things that were more little mini arcs into this season, you know, so it wasn't quite so isolated in the episodes. I think, you know, Nickelodeon as a network had been really freaked out about that idea but we kind of gained a little i think a little bit of confidence from them so we were able to do season two i think more like we were originally envisioning the show you know it's a little bit more of a journey that's 
just adventures in a row, you know, and yeah. has little mini arcs and character arcs. And did the timing for production, did any of that adjust for season two? Was there any like good news? You get five extra weeks or <laughs> bad no. news. We got to trim down. You get two less weeks. Like, how did that? Because I know you guys made some internal kind of promotions, if you want to use that word, where you set a couple of really talented people at the head of some of the departments. You mentioned being in Korea to visit the animators. You did make some shifts there that were really positive, it sounded like. Yeah. The production's always evolving and the people who are doing great get to do more great stuff and get promoted. And we brought in new artists, new directors. Joaquim Dos Santos started on season two. Mm. Yeah. Joaquim joined on the, the zoo tale of Bossing Say. Yeah. I think that was his first mm. storyboard. Definitely no relief in the schedule. If anything, uh-huh. we were, I was, you know, in my art director duties, just falling further behind, surely. Season one of anything is just horrible. It's really hard. <laughs> I always say it's as if no one's ever made animation before. Like everyone's just kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And like, it's just, it's really hard to get it off the ground, get over the static friction and get some momentum because you're drawing a world into existence, you know, it just, it's, right. and you're trying to show people a style and a vision and trying to figure that vision out at the same time. But I just remember on season two, you start getting into a groove and we promoted Elsa Garagarza up to head up the background design. So she would sort of manage two designers and sometimes I think some freelancers under her. And then I would just meet with her, which made it a lot more efficient for me. I didn't have to have three meetings, you know, with like three different designers and she's awesome. She was just so great. I mean, all the designers were, but Elsa was just a great team leader and that helped the show start to look better the animators were just getting into their grooves too and you know so i was season two i think is definitely a a big quality it's more consistent i think than season one you know now just am i so i because i don't remember all this stuff like either do i dante i don't i know (laughs) (laughs) that's why i love doing this podcast because going back watching this show is like these foggy memories. I do remember you guys traveling a lot and you guys would get back in the booth and like, oh, we came from somewhere. We talk about what doing yoga in other countries and, and things like that. But <laughs> during, you're talking about the season two, you got to start on this. Has season one been done airing in, in real time or where are we at no. where the audience? No, there's so much overlap. That's the thing. Like That's so intense. when people got really some fans, so that whole thing I mentioned about Zuko going worse before he gets better. Right, right. That he and Katara were going to smooch. They thought yeah. he was just going to be this knight in shining armor. And we swerved in the other direction. Swerved. Right. And I remember we got a letter that was like, not just from one person, it was like a collective of people. Oh. Like, we, the so and so, have authored this demand. And it was like, we <laughs> demand you rewrite and reanimate the finale episode. But we were already like, deep into season three <laughs> when, like, when that I also came out. imagine you probably wouldn't have uh, would have been like no, stop but- the presses everyone it's Hold amazing that, that that certain fans care that much they were so mad at us and and I remember Joaquim was by that point we were into season three he was a director we were all enjoying this letter I think we hung it up on our like fan art wall and um Joaquim's like why don't we just give them the money and say okay here you animate it <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you do it. 
the new reality show. A bunch of people who don't know how to do something. <laughs> Hopefully they'll do it. That's like season one of anything. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, that's been one of the really amazing things about, you know, our first season of Braving the Elements. We really did get that full, holistic sense of that from all of these different voices on the production. You know, people like the writers and, you know, obviously Ben and Jeremy and everybody just kind of going, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was really scary and it was probably scariest and hardest for Mike and Brian. But you guys were still helming it in such a way that everyone says we didn't know what we were doing. But then the stories that we hear sound still very in control in the sense of like, we're still working together as a team. We're still getting stuff done because it has to get done when it has to get done. Like, do you know what I mean? Because you hear about productions that are in their first season and it's utter chaos and nothing gets comes in on time. And so I feel like that there's maybe some controlled chaos that was happening in season one that got smoothed out for season two for you guys. Is that fair to say? It's always controlled chaos, I feel like, <laughs> to varying extents, yeah. Always. <laughs> and I love the stories of the first book. You guys are all young. You guys knew each other. You guys are all friends. And you guys are all pretty young at the time going, yeah. two of yeah. our homies got this opportunity to like helm this show. And now all the homies are coming in. But everyone's so young going, uh, we're not 100% sure how to do the sound or the, this or that. But we're just going to do it. Ben talking about it's- his mom buying him toys. Like Ben saying, like, my mom would give me toys. And, and she thought that this would sound good in Avatar. And she was always right. It was like <laughs> such a great, great John rendition. So cool. <laughs> you know, Mike and I had been working on this for three years by this point. You know, like right. we started in spring of 2002. So... 2005 we had been on this thing working full time like the whole time pretty much so now we were in the thick of it yes season one was painful season two just yeah it started to get a little bit of momentum so that was really exciting to see it was um really satisfying the journey was really becoming real and and looking a lot better (laughs) than it did first season do you guys have favorite episodes from this season yeah, favorite moments in the season. Definitely. This season has some of my favorite episodes of the Avatar in season two. I really like the plot of the Avatar state. I'm still really proud of that one. I think that is like one of those things that we try to to focus on, which is not just like good versus evil, but just I think General Fong is not an evil. He really believes what he's doing is right. Right. And he knows it's unpleasant. Without you, we'd be slaughtered before we even reach their shores. But with you leading the way, as the ultimate weapon, we could cut a swath right through to the heart of the Fire Nation. The greatest good for the greatest number kind of concept he's gone with. Yeah, but it's not good. You know, it's bad. And and Aang is this kid who's gone through trauma. And that's one of the traumatic things that he has to process in the Guru episode is all of the people that he hurt. Look at all the guilt which burdens you so. What do you blame yourself for? away. I hurt all of those people. I like the maturity of that theme and that plot. Obviously, The Blind Bandit is one of my favorites. And then um, The Drill is, I mean, I went so deep into slurry and tunnel boring machines (laughs) and trying to pitch this to everybody and like, just like, what? But I feel there's a strength and specificity. And it's better to just come up with like, one really specific, like the frogs and the 
blue spirit just like something really specific and not yeah. just like generic and random and broad and then anyway cities of walls and secrets is I just is so beautifully animated and just i love that episode yeah we might have to drag you in for some of those mike how about you yeah i would say that like the whole bossing say arc like all those episodes stand as a really good unit because i mean when we did them they were cool because i love like 1984 and like conspiracy stuff right. and and whatever and but some of it at the time when we were writing like the judy stuff of like there is judy. no war in bossing say like it I seemed know. a little silly and i was like eh, no one would people really believe this and then now when i see those now, episodes i'm like oh, poignancy oh, this seems uh, quite appropriate to our time <laughs> like i know how wild is it now like at this particular moment in silencing talk of conflict bossing say remains a peaceful orderly utopia the last one on earth There is no war within the walls. Here we are safe. Here we are free. It is interesting, like, you know, when it was, when it first came out a couple of years ago again, had the resurgence and people were writing about it again. Like, you know, there was a lot of writing about not just that episode, but the political themes and stuff of the show and just how relevant it was to that, our time now. And that is true. And then I also feel like it's just kind of, we were inspired by stuff that had happened in history, throughout history, in, in various right. time periods. So it's just a reminder that it's a cycle. It's like the Avatar keeps happening. I didn't tell you guys, but I told this story to Janet a while back. We were at New York City Comic Con. I'm signing autographs, right? And then there's a guy there, and he's, and he's telling me, like like a lot of fans out there, like, I grew up with you. Like I'm like, oh, thank you, man. I love that. I was there for your, you know, you growing up. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. We grew up with you, our generation. I go, yeah. And he goes, no. You don't understand Avatar programmed our generation. <laughs> that is definitely connected to our generation growing up trying to get the world back in balance. And I'm like oh, sitting in New York City Comic Con, like <laughs> I kind of got chills down my spine. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness, this dude is dropping crazy <laughs> knowledge on me right now. That's wow. awesome. Well, one of the things that I'm really excited to get into pretty early on as we dive into the season is going to be talking about some of the more... Uh, diegetic music. I think that's what I mean, that, you know, actual songs that take place that are sort of part of the plot. You know, we had a little, little bit of that in book one, but there's a lot of stuff that just cracks wide open in book two. And, you know, obviously, I can't wait to talk to some folks uh, that I'll keep secret about uh, Secret Tunnel and about the influence and the just sort of wonderful kind of like, oh, I guess this is sort of the anthem for fans. And it's this kind of language through which you recognize, you know, I know you, you know me, we know this thing together, therefore we are the same. And and just how lovely it is. It's so intense. When we wrapped Cora, I taught like a winter session course at RISD, Mike's and my alma mater. And so I was on the East Coast with my dog, who was one of the inspirations for Naga, my dog Gunther. And we had to make our journey back west but I was invited to speak at Swarthmore College. And uh, so I went down there to give a lecture. The stipulation was my rider was that I could bring my dog. It was like it's winter and I'm not going to leave him in the car for a long lecture or in the, some hotel or something. Right. So Gunther came out on stage with me. Um, he was a big golden, golden doodle. So he was like three quarter golden and part standard poodles. He was huge. And we're standing just backstage and all of a sudden i hear this terrifyingly (laughs) 
creepy, loud, <laughs> like, reciting of the opening of the show, Katara's full narration, memorized. The whole crowd did it. It was so loud. And Gunther, I remember, you know when a dog will just look up at you like, what is happening? <laughs> like, he's just like, what is this evil chance? Like, where, where have you brought me? Like, what is going to happen when I walk out on that scene? But I do believe they all also sang Secret Tunnel. I could be wrong about that. But, but yeah, the incidental music was, yeah, it was really fun. It's so good. When do you guys start receiving fan art and how? There's a thing called mail. And, and, and back in the day, the snail mail. I don't believe you. Back in our younger years, people would send us written pieces of paper and drawings in an envelope. <laughs> We'd receive them at Nickelodeon. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously online discussions back then, but we did get a lot of fan mail via Nickelodeon. You know, they would just send like to Mike and Brian at Nickelodeon and somehow it got to us. <laughs> Um, so we did get a lot it's of like letters Santa, and the North yeah, Pole. drawings and, and whatnot. Um, the first bits of fan art ever were my nephew, Alexander. <laughs> That's true. Long before the show ever came out, he saw the pitch drawings that I had done and Bible that we put together. And he, he did these drawings of Katara and Sokka and oh, wow. Aang. And, um, so that was the official very, very, very first fan art. But I mean, the first two episodes premiered and then there was already there were one or two fan websites that started avatarspirit.net and distant winds or something like that those like popped up right away and we were just like whoa we thought it would take some time you know to kind of have that kind of resonance but yeah we got a lot of cool stuff so that when you would walk up the green slime stairs (laughs) at nickelodeon at the top of the loft was our space and then over on the left was spongebob but there was like a big wide wall that was like the backs of some cubicles and we just made that our whole big fan art mural we just pinned them all up there it was it was so neat this is a great way to just constantly be reminded of how it was connecting with people especially kids you yeah oh that's so amazing because it was obviously not the first show either of you worked on but certainly the first show where it came directly from your brain in your brains alone. Well, many other brains. There, we, we we squished a bunch of brains together. You <laughs> a lot drew, of writers. I mean, and, you guys said yeah. this is what Anne yeah. looks like, and you know, I don't think anybody else was like, I've decided to draw up a new way. And I hope the two You'd of you be surprised. understand. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I've said in the past, and like in the Avatar Spirits documentary, like you know, Mike and I had started this in 2002, and we had been working on it full time. So. We had been living with this and toiling with it. And there's, up, you know, ups and downs. And no one even knew what it was. It's not just like right now where you want to know what we're doing at Avatar Studios. It's like no one even knew who we were, what we were cooking up behind the scenes. So when you get to season two, most of season one is out there. There, so You've got a wall of fan art growing. You're like, OK, this isn't just this kind of isolated thing, this secret that we're carrying anymore. This is like, it's out there, you know? And once it's out there, it takes on a life of its own. And like you were saying, Dante, people grow up with it. It becomes a part mm-hmm. of how they value the system yeah. and, and how they see the world. How they see themselves, yeah. But it was forming its own community. You know, people were meeting each other because of it at the conventions and on forums and stuff. So not that you, you know, float around and pat yourself on the back, but you just become like, aware that you're in the middle of this sort of loop, you know, this feedback loop. Do you guys deal, I mean, especially now going into the Avatarverse stuff, but even, I guess, coming back your second season, first time really 
dealing with expectations from you know fans or or whatnot studios or whatnot the expectations and that others may put upon you and then once you put upon yourself yeah i was gonna say we always had the highest expectations for ourselves right yeah we were very hard on ourselves I have some last questions. I found this in my old notes and I was like, I do want to ask this question. (laughs) It's so dumb. Mike, it's for you. Thinking about you and the very early stages of Avatar The Last Airbender and how robots have long been an inspiration to you. There's some robot Mm -hmm. characters that have been a big deal um, in your world. And we know kind of what the early sketches included in that there was a little bit of a robot element in very, very early iterations. So but putting that aside, if you had to turn one of the human characters from Avatar The Last Airbender (laughs) into a robot... Mm. This is the best question ever. Back. This is the best This is the best bit of avatar journalism I have ever heard. So this would be like um Westworld where it's like you're discovering like oh Did no you they're didn't actually know that Sokka was always a robot. <laughs> right. Oh a secret robot or just like It could be a secret robot or it could be like rewriting alternate universe like one of the characters had to be a known robot. One of them's Data. Yeah, I like that version. No I like robot. the version where one is just a robot like Got it. and you know it. But you, you, yeah, Mike, but you I think, answer both. I think, uh, man, that's a tricky one. I know. I'd want it to be in their group, but then I'm like, none of those kids could be robots. Uh, <laughs> I feel like they would have to, after Zuko turned good, Ozai and Azula create a robot Zuko to go after the kids. <laughs> oh, great answer. A Terminator yeah, Zuko a Terminator to kind of go after them. Zuko 2000. And then Zuko has right. to fight himself. I immediately was like, Sokka. Sokka's a robot. <laughs> That's sure. what I said, too. Yeah, he could, be sure. he could have a computer quirky, brain. Yeah. You know, he's definitely the C-3PO-ish kind of could be smart and yeah. wild. I was thinking, yeah, he's sort of a Tin Man C-3PO, but exactly the exact same personality, <laughs> just a robot. I was <laughs> like, my brother's a robot. I mean, don't ask about it. It's just how it is. And you just <laughs> never explain it. There's no other robots anywhere in the world or in the Southern Water Tribe. You just, yeah. and But everyone knows what a robot is. <laughs> He's not famous. <laughs> well, once we got to Korra, then we could actually do some like robot oh, things, yeah. like the mechs and the you know Kavira's giant mech. I know we're oh, jumping goodness. way ahead here, but those are like yeah. mech suits. So good. Yeah, yeah the mech stuff. Yeah. That, All that technology came in the new series for sure. The biggest technology that we had in the original series was like the guys who flew. The mechanist was bringing in some technology. The airships. Yeah, I mean the drill is the biggest. Oh, the drill. Piece. The drill. The drill is very scary. You did a great job with that. Thank you. Um, it's a huge piece of machinery, you know. Did they have a toys for the drill? No one made a toy <laughs> of the drill. No. <laughs> but the I drill. Would love it. Makita. Makita came to us. They said, <laughs> look, we would love to make an operational tunnel boring machine. Yeah. You could buy slurry. You could get different colors. What about those varnishes that climb the, the mountains and stuff? And they can those flip tanks, and stuff? Those, those climbing tanks. tanks. Yeah, we definitely talked about the tanks making great toys in terms of merchandise. This is where the great ideas are born. Okay, so a couple of listener questions. Joseph at Jedi Master Joe tweeted, (laughs) Waterbenders get the full moon. Firebenders get Sozin's Comet. If the other two types of benders got a power boost, what would give them Mm. a boost? We wrote it into the series Bible. There was a little chapter about different natural phenomena. Again, we like even though it's magic, we wanted it to be really linked with natural phenomena. Sure. And so 
we never really did this because story-wise, like, oh, we need a storm to come. And Aang's like not at an advantage. But I think our original idea was like a storm could actually make an airbender really powerful. Maybe it's just something you, you've got to become a master to like wrangle that kind of energy. But that's one of those things where you could have gale force wind, like a hurricane, mm-hmm. but a, an airbender could use harness that momentum. It. They could harness, harness it. We haven't done it yet. Maybe we will. A twister story. Maybe an earthquake, an earthbender could oh. maybe kind of harness an earthquake or something. I don't know. We never did it, but there's plenty more stories <laughs> See? to tell. Good question, Jedi Master Joe. Next question from Adrian. The Adrian C tweeted, so with the customs of Northern Water Tribe, how did they handle situations like when Kiyoshi and other female avatars needed to learn waterbending for their avatar training? So our idea is that the Northern Water Tribe the water tribes in general, it's not just two tribes. It, it was meant to be many tribes in the north and in the south. The northern ones might have a bit more linking them, you know, kind of some more kind of customs and, and things linking them. And the southern ones a bit more linked than the north. But our idea was that they were much more culturally varied before the war. And that mm. the war had, as can happen anywhere in the world, the war had an effect where it they all sort of huddled together for survival and strength, you know, and protection. And one sort of cultural thing took over and sort of made it more homogenous. And that maybe they were the larger, more dominant culture before the war, but then they sort of like took over. So our idea was that it was a, that wasn't like ubiquitous in the north from like shore to shore before the war. That was like a kind of conservative result of, of weathering this long war. A hundred years. Know. That makes sense. A lot could happen in a hundred years. Well, also yeah. too, like back then they could have learned from benders in the south too. So it didn't have to be just in the north. But if a bender was born there, yeah, right. maybe they would have to go. They just go to another tribe <laughs> somewhere else or something. But yeah, they could have gone to the south. Great answer. Thank you, our two dads, for taking time out from your busy Avatar Studios schedule. I know it must be hard to take a break from working on. Mm-hmm. So many things. <laughs> mm. It's always well, a lovely treat to stop by and just get to reminisce, you know, because our heads are in our current problems. <laughs> you know? So it's nice to stop and go, oh, yeah, we made it through. We survived all of those yes, old indeed. nightmares. So yeah. Well, we'll have you back if we can wrangle you and your busy schedules working on to have you back for upcoming episodes. We certainly would love to. We love our two dads. Thanks so much, Good guys. Good you guys. Great catching up. Good luck with the process. Thank you. Thank you both. Great to see you. All right, everyone. We really hope you enjoy that conversation with our beloved Mike and Brian. Stay safe, everyone, and enjoy your holiday. Thanks for listening to Avatar Brave the Elements and make sure to subscribe and please leave us a review. It really helps the podcast so much and me and Janet really appreciate it. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Varney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.